Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The people that you meet today, of course, won't know your history because they didn't know you, right? But to yeah. also allow that to naturally unfold as opposed to feeling like you, because it's not a therapist, right? Like you don't need to feel the pressure of telling them everything about your life story. Like that is a part of the beauty of what happens in friendship. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Human to Human, a Revolt Network podcast. This episode of Human to Human is empowered by Always Black and Penguin Random House. I'm your host, Stacey Ike, and today's special guest is licensed psychologist, author, and creator and host of Therapy for Black Girls, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford. Dr. Joy and I got human to human about her experience writing her first book, Sisterhood Heals, the power of friendship, and continuously pursuing well-being in the midst of achieving. Before each episode, I like to share a song to add to your playlist, a book to check out, and a reflection question inspired by the episode. So let's get into it. This week's song is Friends by the Carters. This week's book is Sisterhood Heals by today's guest. And while you're listening, reflect on this question. What role do you play in most of your friendships? Is it the fixer, the planner, the fun one? Whatever the role is, do you want to keep playing that role or are you looking for a change? Now... Let's get human to human with Dr. Joy Harden Bradford. So excited to have you on the show, Dr. Joy. Congratulations on your first yes, book. Thank you, Stacey. Sisterhood Heals. <laughs> Hearing first book. Hearing I wrote my first book. Do you get excited about the second? Do you think, I can't believe I wrote the first? What are your thoughts when you hear that? <laughs> I am very much in the, I can't believe I wrote the first one camp. <laughs> it still feels very, very surreal. I love that. How did you approach this book differently than other projects you've approached, other ways of sharing your knowledge and your thoughts and your wisdom? Yeah, you know, it, it feels like it has been completely different. You know, like I, you know, run the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. And so I'm used to kind of like going in depth about like a particular topic. But this felt like I had to do that like 85 different times. Um, mm. And it's still very different than like the scripting we do for a podcast episode. So the closest thing I think I have to compare it to was my dissertation, which was many, many years ago. And it still felt very different. So it, it felt like a very, like a completely new iteration of my career um that was both exciting but also terrifying oh my gosh of course yeah what when you were writing it what did you confront within yourself through the book I confronted that I had far more like perfectionism kinds of issues than I really ever knew. Um, you know, again, when I wrote the dissertation, I feel like that was so many years ago and like I was still a student. And so it kind of felt like, OK, it can be like not so great and you still pass. Right. Um, whereas this felt like. Uh, you know, I really want to get it right. Like I am writing this book mm -hmm. for Black women about sisterhood, which feels so special to me. Um, but I don't feel like we always have like the best language to describe it. And I really, really wanted to get it right. Um, and so I mm -hmm. think I had far more perfectionism issues than I ever imagined. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That's yeah. so real. I mean, it is, you know, you hear like, I, that's why I asked you genuinely, how do you 
feel when you hear first, because sometimes we, we, we talk about the excitement. Of course, it is so exciting to have the, you know, to have the book in front of me personally, who's gotten to, you know, have it early and those who will read it. So many people who will get to experience it, but now we have to figure out, well, what did the author have to give? What did the author have to go through to get what we got? You know? <laughs> right, right. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And I think what when I think about perfectionism and where and how it shows up, what do you think your perfectionism was afraid of? I think it was really afraid of like not wanting to mess it up, right? Like, you know, like it, it feels like there aren't a lot of books about sisterhood, right? And so if I'm attempting to give language to this thing that exists between Black women, like I want to get it right. Um, and I mm. want to kind of do sisters justice and I want to do my work justice and kind of make sure that what my intent is, is actually coming across on the page. Um, so I'm glad that I finally got there, but it definitely was a difficult process, like trying to like confront all of that with myself um I have spent countless amounts of my own therapy sessions kind of talking through like my process of writing this book and like what it has been like to offer this thing that's very new and different in my career yeah yeah so taking some of the elements from the book I'd love to dive into how it affects your personal life before this version of you when we look back, when you look back at your childhood, how was your mother's relationship with her friends? Mm -hmm. So my mom grew up with six sisters. And so it kind of felt like there wasn't necessarily a need for a whole bunch of other friends. Um, but but I do have like some aunties who are not like actually biological aunties, right? Like people she went to high school with, um, you know, but I think when I think about like friendships, it is mostly like my mom and like her sisters. Um, and I think mm -hmm. about like the fact that it always felt so loving, even when like people were fighting or like, you know, had disagreements with one another um it just always felt like very familiar very loving um like just something that felt like a warm place um like I just remember like all the stories they would share or, like doing one another's hair or like all of those kinds of things um and that yeah. has always just felt like so grounding I think for me mm. so were you able to kind of take that reflection and it was immediate in your life or did you grow into a girl's girl you know, I feel like I have always been a girl's girl because I had so many aunts, but I also have like 25 girl first cousins. Um, So even though <laughs> I don't have any sisters, like biological sisters, like I grew up with a lot of girls Um, and then, you know, was was in um like different organizations in middle school and high school and all these things. So I feel like I kind of have always been a girl's girl. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, for though, th there's a lot of women who, like you said, needed but also are looking forward to the language of defining sisterhood knowing how to go get it knowing how to keep it knowing how to nurture it and you know I I feel like I've also always been a girl's girl and now that you've said the sister thing I'm like oh my god that makes sense my mom has so many sisters <laughs> there's so many sisters who like I mean these are like now my girls like I love talking to my aunts and being like oh my god I have all these other you know, women to go to for knowledge and for wisdom and for laughs and for just for all of it. So I'm like, wow, that's a reflection. You just made me think of me and one of my really close friends, her mom didn't have any sisters. Mm. And those are things that we've discussed in our relationship of like how I approached her of like, you're my bestie and we're going to be best friends. And like, you're part of my family now. And she was like, we don't really do that. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, so that like immediately you just gave me a reflection of that. So I'd love to dive into some of your friendships have there been a relationship you've been you've been in where a friend stopped talking to you and you may have been might have been the one that messed up in that relationship and how did you work through that Ooh. none is coming to mind 
I don't think so. I, I mean, I'm such a talker um, that I think mm-hmm. if, if there were a situation where like somebody has stopped talking to me, it would come to mind very easily. Um, but definitely there have been like disagreements or like periods of like, okay, you hurt me um, in, mm-hmm. in friendships and like having to go back to one another and like apologize or, you know, to kind of say like, okay, here's where we kind of veered off. Like, can we get back on the same page? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love. Okay. So those are the nuances within a friendship, right? And we talk about the veering off or even learning how to get back on the same page. So in your experience, in your multiple friendships, in in the relationships with even your aunts, things like that, where, what would you say are like two or three of the top things you've learned in terms of communicating throughout a friendship? Mm. So I think as I've gotten older and like had additional responsibilities, like, you know, being married with kids, like it is just so much harder to kind of have those like casual, like catch-ups because everybody's so busy. Right. And so I think one of the most important things I've learned is the importance of being intentional about carving out time with friends. Like, okay, let's have a standing kind of friend date or like, okay, every quarter we're going to go do this or, you know, something like that. Like it has just become much more important to like schedule out those things. Cause you know, we all live kind of by our schedules and so if it doesn't you know if it's not penciled in it doesn't happen Um, so I think that that's really important um I also think the importance of really just being curious about like what what's going on with people and not coming from a place of judgment but more like oh tell me more about like what's going on there as opposed to like oh I don't think you should do this thing so there's a there's a bit there though in terms of like how to do that because I feel like curiosity is such a gorgeous thing, but even in my experience, I've constantly, well, I've learned to see like where I was a bit afraid of curiosity because I was afraid to either be wrong. I was afraid afraid for my perfectionism to show. I was afraid to not know what to do with the answer, right? And, And then we talk about curiosity in a friendship or relationship. Why do you think that we don't go to curiosity first. Why do you think we go to like, Mm-mm, or not, nah, or you should, or you, we right. go there quickly and we have to learn how to allow curiosity to be exciting. But what do you think the disconnect of that is? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we want to jo- jump into like problem solving mode, right? Like we see somebody struggling with something and we're like, oh, I know that just the thing that would make this better for you. Or, you know, if we see a friend hurting, like we don't want. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's Arnold's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Our friends to be hurt, like we care about them. We don't want them to be struggling. And so I think we get so uncomfortable with the pain that we then want to like offer them something that we think will help take the pain away. But a lot of times people just want us to kind of sit with them in it um, as opposed to kind of rushing in with answers. And I think that that's where the curiosity really comes in. How do we sit with people? Because you're so right. We we don't love seeing our loved ones struggling. We don't even, we don't love it in ourselves. So why would we love it in our loved ones, right? right. So how do we, what is the skill of sitting with somebody in their pain or even in their excitement and not, not offering anything yet, just being in whatever their emotion is? Mm-hmm. How, what does that skill look like? Yeah, so I think it is lots of op- asking open-ended questions. So, you know, like, tell me more or, oh, what, what was going on there? Um, you know, kind of just really being inquisitive, but also being very attuned. Um, so you can't really sit with someone and be very present with them if you're, like, also checking to see what's happening on Instagram, right? So making sure that you're kind of freeing yourself from any other distractions. You can't really sit with someone if you're, like, driving down the highway 
highway, you know, so like, are you actually in a space where you can be present and focused on exactly what the person is saying? I think those are some important things to consider. Yeah. And how, how can we decipher between it's a moment of problem solving and it's a moment of listening? Because sometimes our friend is like, no, I really need you to give me a, you know, a solution here. <laughs> and sometimes it is a listening moment. And sometimes they're not able to communicate that while it's happening. Right, right. And I think we can ask, right? Like, you know, so if the friend volunteers like, oh, no, girl, I really need some answers to this. Like, help me think this through. Then, you know, of course, you know, you jump into problem solving if you feel like you can. But I think it is right. also OK. Like, OK, do you want me to help you kind of think through what to do next? Or are we still in a place of like just you processing how you're feeling right now? And I'm fine to do either one. Um, You know, so really mm -hmm. just asking people to kind of tell you what they need as opposed to assuming that we know what other people need. Yeah. How did you start communicating to your friends? This is what I need. These are the changes. Like you said, some of the casual conversations that go away as responsibility changes. So as you've changed and evolved, what is something you've required in your friendships and how do you communicate that? You know, I think it, it has really been important for me as like I've continued to grow professionally to have spaces where like I didn't need to be on. Um, and I don't know that like my friends ever put me in like the like I am the only therapist in most of my circles, but I don't know that my friends have necessarily like always come to me to like put, you know, to kind of solve their problems or whatever. Um, but I have been very clear about around wanting spaces where like I don't like always have to be talking about what's happening with work or in like, oh, tell me about this cool thing you did. Like I really sometimes just don't want to have to do that. Um, and so I, I have been very clear with, you know, like, hey, y'all, like I'm, I'm happy that you're excited about this thing, but I don't really want to talk about work. Like, can we talk about, you know, whatever's happening on Bravo or whatever? Um, you know, so I think that that has been something that I've had to learn to step in because I think my friends, you you know, they're excited for the things that I have going on or they want to know more about my work. But I think, you know, it is work um, in a lot of ways. And so being, really being able to kind of set some boundaries around like, OK, I want to just kind of hang out as opposed to kind of talk about work has been something I've had to work to communicate. For sure. Did you also have to work to not be the therapist friend who offered information or who tried to jump in and solution, you know, be solution oriented in different situations? Or was that that easy for you to to turn off? Yeah, I think in some circles, some of my friend circles, it has been easier to not jump into that role because like I've, you know, I have two of my closest friends I've known since college. And so they knew me before I was a therapist. And so I don't feel like there was a, a tendency to jump into it that for them. Um, but in other circles that I I've made like since I've been older and you know been a, a career psychologist um there has been the tendency to kind of like oh well let me offer this like insight or whatever and you know thinking like oh no they didn't actually ask you for that <laughs> or like how can you turn that therapist hat off um which is sometimes difficult right because I think you know our training kind of forces us to see the world in a certain way and so I am kind of always kind of paying attention to patterns and like what's not being said here and you know like those kinds of things but that feedback is not always warranted so knowing when to kind of pull back I think is important yeah mm -hmm. as someone who holds so many titles um you know licensed psychologist you are a podcaster you're also running a business what do you wish people asked you more about what do I wish people ask me more about? I think it's always nice to get questions around like how I'm actually doing. Right. Cause mm. I think there are a lot of things that I do like this, you know, that, you know, require me to kind of talk about like the work and like, okay, what's going on. But I like even your first question around like, well, what was this like 
to kind of bring this 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 book into the world and like really helping me to kind of dig into what's happening with me emotionally because I'm not always there. Um, those are, are questions that are always really appreciated. Yeah, I, I I I sincerely felt a draw to ask you that because I'm like, wow, like being a therapist is a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, we, we let's stop back. Like just the holding, like your job is to hold space. Imagine having that as a career, you know, to hold space for other people's conversations and moments and needs and emotions and still have the ability to detach in a healthy way and still be there for yourself. And then you have your own life. So I was just immediately, I was, you know, looking at you and thinking and just feeling your, your energy and being like, I wonder what she wishes people talk to her more about. And so I am, I am really curious about your mental, uh, your emotional well being right now and where you are. It's May, you know, you just released your first book. What that, does it feel like a weight has been lifted? What do you want the rest of the year to look like? Like, where are you emotionally and, and, um, immensely in this moment mm -hmm. so I think really excited but also like feeling a little overwhelmed because they there is so much it, it feels like the the book writing and like launching process like there are lots of starts and stops right like so there's a whole process of like writing and editing and you know going back and forth until the draft is like final and perfect um and then you like launch into like the whole marketing thing and like okay you got to talk to all these people and like now we got to actually talk about the book right and so while it's exciting it's still like a lot there are lots of like mm -hmm. things on my schedule and like lots going on. Um, my kids also like do year round sports. And so we're in the midst of baseball season, which calls for lots of long days <laughs> at the baseball park. <laughs> so it does feel like there's a like, OK, how am I managing all of this? I mean, like I've already said, my own therapist has been incredibly helpful in helping me to kind of think through like, OK, what can you take off your plate this week? Like, how are you taking care of yourself? Um, but I think mm -hmm. overall, I'm just really excited to kind of be talking about the book and like moving into this phase. And when I think about, though, the rest of the year, I'm hoping that it's quieter, right? Like that yeah. there is some kind of downtime and, you know, like time for me to kind of really sit with and have deeper conversations about um, and really to also like honor and celebrate like this thing that I've done, right? Because it, it feels like yes. a really big deal, but it also feels like there's so much that's happening that like I don't feel like I've really sat with like, wow, this is a big deal, but because I got to yeah. go, right? Like I got to go do the next thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I actually, that's kind of what I was feeling for you too. I was like, wow, I wonder what her version of celebration is going to look like. You know, everyone else is going to celebrate around you and that's incredible. Yeah. But like, do you think you have an idea of what that will look and feel like? I feel like it would be solitude. Like, I feel like I don't want a big party. Like, I don't want to, you know, like I want to like go off to some island somewhere and like just be very quiet and not plugged in. Yeah, I am. I'm seeing the spilling. I'm experiencing the spilling. The The book has so much of your like rawness in it that you're like, yeah, that that exerted a lot of energy from her. And now she's got to go replenish. So I look forward to that for you. Thank you. Thank you. What's the last thing that you forgave yourself for for the first time? The last thing I forgave myself for for the first time. I don't know if it's for the first time, um, but my little one just had a birthday. So he just made seven. Um, mm -hmm. And because I am in the throes of like book launch, book stuff, like I feel like I wasn't like the birthday mom that I typically am, right? Like, oh, let's throw a big party. Let's, and, like, I just didn't have the energy and bandwidth to do that. Um, and so, of course, like my mommy guilt, like got triggered, like, oh, like you're not showing up and, you know, all of these kinds of things. Um, and so I've had to, that has been, I think, a constant practice in forgiveness and compassion 
passion for myself to have two little ones while there's also so much going on in my career. Um, So I feel like I didn't forgive myself for the first time, but that was another practice in forgiveness to myself. Sure. Yeah, it's so funny you mentioned that because first of all, as a mom, I just want to say thank you. I the more I I mean, I'm very excited about becoming a mother, but I'm also like extremely terrified. And that's just <laughs> the truth of it. And I think it's scary. Sometimes it's really scary to admit the terrifying part. I think yeah. people do admit it, but I've been a nervous to admit it because I don't want maybe I don't want the universe to think like, no, I don't I still want it, but I'm scared. <laughs> like, you know, it's like right, I right. say both of those things. And just the more I can, I dive so deeply into my parents' relationship as best as I can. And I, I use it as a point of like learning and, and loving to see how they've grown and evolved. And I see, you know, you just understand them so much more. And, and I can already tell you now your kids are going to understand you so much more as they get into their moment and, and what it looks like. Um, but, but what is your circle or support look like when you're having some of that mommy guilt or just some of that, like, okay, this is a balancing act moment. Where do you go and what do you need to remind your... Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yourself that you can't always be everything. Mm-hmm. So my husband has been an incredible source of support for that. Um, you know, like, it's okay. Like, you will be fine. They've had plenty of birthdays. It, it, it's okay <laughs> if it, this one is um, scaled back. Um, but also, you know, my friends, like, you know, I have other mom friends who, you know, we talk about those kinds of things and like commiserate with one another, but also really help to support one another in terms of like, assuage some of that guilt and like to, to really normalize it um you know because it kind of comes from this like outside pressure of like kind of being all these things and like oh what are the kids going to remember and you want them to have all these memories but the truth is that kids remember most like having like secure attachments and they remember you know you being there like when they're hurting or like telling them they did a great job like those kinds of things um but I'm I'm human and so of course I kind of mm-hmm. fall prey to like wanting them to have you know really nice things and you know to sell celebrate them. Um, But it definitely has been helpful, like my group chats and again, my own therapist to talk with, um, talk to about some of those things has been an incredible sense of support for me. Yeah. You just brought up what's, what's your attachment style? actually I would say pretty secure um Mm -hmm. you know like I I definitely feel like my parents were there for me you know like I didn't kind of go long periods without people kind of responding or you know that kind of thing so I would say pretty secure secure Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's you brought it up so beautifully in the book a lot about attachment styles along with like how as as sisters we (laughs) relate to each other in ways that you know Sometimes it takes a few levels to take off the mask just based on the external world that we all come from in different ways. And for those who maybe either don't have a therapist, aren't really, you know, looking for the therapist, how can we now talk about group therapy, group relationships, group friendships as another source of healing and another space of like community Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think for a lot of Black women, like we exist in community like all the time, right? You know, mm-hmm. so whether it's the community we find ourselves in at our hair salon or, you know, in clubs we're a part of, um, online spaces, like I think we most often find ourselves in circles, whether we are aware of it or not. Um, and But there is some really important information to know about like what happens when you're in a group, right? So what role do you kind of take on in a group and do you enjoy being in that role or do you find yourself resistant? 
resentful of having to be the one that's always like organizing the things or whatever. Um, and so in the book, I really tried to like bring some of those, uh, some of that terminology from group therapy to talk about what does this look like in our everyday circles and how can it actually help to heal both ourselves and one another. Mm. That's very, that was actually like the exact thing I was recognizing while I was reading. I'm like, okay, she's actually telling us like to analyze some of the groups we're in, not to say like get in groups or like not, you know, you know, mm-hmm. is that, is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think we naturally find ourselves in groups and, you know, yeah, when we think yeah, about like the power yeah. of community, the power of not being alone with our thoughts or that, you know, people will love us on our worst days kind of thing. Yeah. Like I really want people to kind of step into that, but also to understand what's happening when we find ourselves in a part of a group. Do you feel like there are multiple different types of groups? Like how can we define and recognize, okay, this doesn't have to be best friend. This maybe is this and like feeling just allowing each relationship we have to have its own space Mm. how do we analyze those yeah I think that that's really important because you know you may have like your group of sister friends right who are like your chosen family um which is one level of group but there could also be like co-workers that you're in a group with at work but there's Mm. not necessarily any like connection or you know uh interaction after work but it's still a group and there's still probably dynamics showing up even in the workspace and I think it's okay to not have the pressure to have every group be like your lifeline right like there are some groups that are okay to just like go out and hang with or you know like it's a hobby group or whatever and then there are people who are closer to you who know um, more intimate things about you and I think it's okay for those things to exist on whatever level they are yeah and something else that comes to mind for me is when we are finding different groups sometimes we're you know we're making I think to me, after the pandemic, we've been creating a lot of new relationships, getting to know new people and making friends at a later time in our lives. And I, I, this is a, it's a very interesting thing to do. And you're like, oh, what version of myself do I bring to this friendship? Okay. They don't really know my past. I actually had a new relationship that I um, started last year. And I was like, God, you're such a great friend, but you don't even know like this other stuff. Should I dump that other stuff on you too? Like, do you need that context? You know? And then I recognize like, oh, okay. She can learn that over time. That's not really who I am today. And it was such a, just a beautiful moment of learning for me. How can people affirm themselves when they are starting a group or jumping into a new group and recognizing some of the fears that come along with that? Maybe some of the shame, some of the oof vulnerability moments, just some of those moments of like, you know what, actually, I don't want to do this. How can we affirm ourselves to, to push us forward? Not necessarily to force us, but to push us forward into this is normal. Mm -hmm. You can do this still. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you just offered a beautiful example of like really slowing ourselves down. Right. So to think about the people that you meet today, of course, won't know your history because they didn't know you. Right. But to also allow that to naturally unfold as opposed to feeling like you, because it's not a therapist, right? Like you don't need to feel the pressure of telling them everything about your life story. Like that is a part of the beauty of what happens in friendship and how Mm -hmm. it unfolds in healthy ways. Right. Because I think a lot of times we like rush things and then we realize, like I don't really even like this person that much like and I've told them all my business now right you know so I think that that is a part (laughs) that's a part of like developing the trust and like seeing you know you share a little bit and how did they handle it and then do they share with you right like that is supposed to unfold in very slow ways and so I think one of the really important things about like you know affirming yourself when you're finding yourself in new situations is to slow yourself down and to always be checking in with yourself around how something feels right so you meet this new friend y'all you know kind of have a friend date or whatever does it feel really good and are you excited about seeing them again or are you feeling like oh I don't 
really know. Like they asked kind of, you know, really invasive questions or I felt judged when I said this thing, like to check in with yourself about how it feels to actually spend time with this person. Cause you know, I think sometimes we're in such a rush to kind of build our circle and like find new people that we choose people who are not actually going to be good for us. Um, and so I think mm. slowing all of that down and like taking off the pressure for this to be your new bestie or whatever really allows you to kind of check in with yourself, but also to make good decisions about who are going to be healthy people to be in circle with and be in relationship with. Oh, I love that. Being able to be patient with that process, truly, because, you know, there, I do believe that as connected as we are through technology, we are really lonely right now. And so I just felt like it was so important to have a book that nurtures and says, hey, like, you know, connectivity is important and, and tries to uplift that and talks through stories of that, but also gives practical tools on how to approach it. Because again, we loneliness is not, I don't believe is one of the highest things that we as humans want to experience, need to experience that even feeds us. But at the same time, be patient and know that your people are coming and you will meet your people, you will attract them. So that that's kind of what I took out of that mm -hmm. moment. Yeah. 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 And I think we know there are so many books and so many lists and so many videos and podcasts and all these things that talk about like romantic relationship, right? Like, how do you find a partner? How do you make it last? And, you know, like all of these things. And I don't feel like we have enough around like our girlfriends and our sister friends, right? Like, those are really, really important relationships. Like when I think about the scope of my life, like my girlfriends have been incredible people. Like they're a huge part of my life. They're not like a second level under my husband. Like they are equal important in a lot of ways and so I think and you know my goal really with the book um, and the conversations around the book is to censor these other relationships in our lives that I think are really meaningful and impactful for us especially as black women yes I love that and I also agree you'll see me talking about friendships so often I'm like wait but they're lovely they're so amazing like they're such a because you know and and I also like love romantic love so i'm like no they're all like love though and that's the root of it and mm -hmm. i once i started really enjoying being able to see those relationships as such it's like that also freed me from thinking you need a partner to be everything right. i have everything in air quotes guys mm -hmm. because we do that sometimes naturally you know it's i think just a part of human design wanting that romantic love to be bigger but it's like they all count and they all count in different ways and they're all really important and i love that yeah, yeah. you know and esther perel talks a lot in her work about like how we have kind of shifted to our romantic partner kind of being the everything for us like they need to be our best friend and our workout partner and like all of these things and like no one person can fill all of those roles and so really yeah. making sure that we are kind of spreading all of that out and like spending time and really um, being intentional about building multiple different relationships in our lives yeah what was some of the hardest parts for you to document and experience through writing the book and then what were some of the most exciting parts so I think the the hardest thing was really like trying to find words to describe what often feels spiritual in between black women right like you you kind of just know it when you feel it like when you're in a in a class with sisters or like you see sisters out shopping or whatever like it, it feels like this intangible thing when something happens to your kitchen you might say this is ludicrous but that won't fix your home that will only get you the rapper Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. 
Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. This energy that often happens. Um, and I really struggle with like how to like put words to that. Like how do how do I put this in in writing on paper to kind of make people understand what I'm saying um you know so I feel like I gave it my best effort I I would love to hear feedback of our other people feel like that I capture some of that um but I definitely think that that was the hardest part um I think that the part that was most exciting for me to write about was um the difficult conversations that can actually lead to intimacy in our friendship. So, you know, there's a whole section in the book that talks about like people getting engaged and people having babies and people getting promoted and how that often is a source of tension in our sister circles. But if we can navigate those really awkward, difficult conversations in a, you know, in a good way with one another, it can actually make us closer. But I think our tendency, our our initial instinct is to like, I just want to like not talk about that, right? But it is going to show up whether you say it or not, right? Like otherwise we see this passive aggressiveness and, you know, lots of acting out when really you could just have the difficult conversation. Um, and so that yeah. probably was one of my favorite things to write about was just around like how we can have some of these difficult conversations with one another that actually leads to more intimacy in our friendships. Yeah. Are you the friend in your relationships that brings up some of the harder conversations or is that spread pretty evenly around your friendships? It really kind of depends on the circle, you know, so in some of my circles, I definitely am the person who like brings up the elephant in the room, so to speak. And then in others, you know, other people do that. Like I do have other circles like that are made up of more therapists. And so then it feels like this shared (laughs) kind of responsibility, like, you know, somebody will bring it up and then we will talk about it. So it really kind of depends on the setting. Right. What's one of the hardest conversations you've had in a friendship that was at, that's that was actually surprising, like something you didn't realize would be something that, oh, this leads to either tension or different things that came up that now we have to discuss? I think probably um, one of my friends had a, a child while we were in grad school. Um, that was like an unexpected, like, oh, okay, there's a baby in the circle now kind of thing, right? Um, and, and I think that that was just a very different dynamic to the circle, right? Like we are kind of, you know, all these like, young 20 something women like going out and, da, 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 and now like there's a baby um mm-hmm. and so I think there there were difficult conversations about like what does that mean now and like how do we continue to support you how do you continue to show up um and then of course like once they were born like it was like this oh everybody became moms and aunties kind of together um in yeah. a lot of ways but I think there was a lot of trepidation of like what that would mean um and how that mm-hmm. changes the dynamic of you know like what's happening in our lives right now that's a good one. Mm-hmm. That that's a good one, man. Like it, it, it can be some of the things that like, I, I just, I love friendships. I think that they, like you said, are just one of, they're so dy- dynamic and there are things. That's why I said, what surprised you? Cause there are things that have just truly surprised me that come up in the adulting as well as the friendship. And I'm like, okay, no, we had no practice in this. <laughs> what's going on right right but I but I do think that that is the beauty of friendship is that it does allow you to have some of that practice right like we won't always get it right like we there may be times where we totally mess up and have to apologize but like practicing with one another and like learning how to like have some of those difficult conversations I think with our sisters are sometimes the safest place to have some of that like oh I messed up and I gotta apologize kind of thing Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah. I love the skill of being able to apologize. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If there are, are people who are, you know, looking for a therapist, looking to 
take that next step in their journey, what do you think are a few questions they can ask themselves to guide them towards the right person? Mm. So I think it's important to kind of be cognizant of what you think would help you to feel comfortable in a therapeutic space, right? Because for a lot of people, you know, this is the first time maybe they've gone to a therapist, they've not talked to anyone outside of family or friends. And so like, what kinds of characteristics of this person do you think would actually allow you to open up? Um, So for a lot of people, that means like a cultural gender kind of match. So a lot of Black women are looking for other Black women therapists, um, which is fine, you know, so it's, so I think it's important to think about it and then to go out looking for that, right? So if you want a Black woman therapist who is trained in a particular kind of way, like there are lots of different, you know, directories. We have one on therapy for Black girls. Um, so there's a lot of ways that you can search for that person. But I'd also encourage people to just be open to surprises um, because sometimes you will find an incredible therapist who is not at all what you thought you wanted in a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I tell people, go after what you want, but also be open to the fact that you could have an incredible therapeutic experience with somebody who's not at all what you thought. Um, mm-hmm. I think another thing to be to be thinking about is um, what kinds of concerns are you bringing to therapy and does that person have experience and training in the thing that you're bringing in, right? Because a lot of people will, you know, like follow people online or like look at websites and think like, oh, I think they'd be cool to talk to. But if they don't have training in the thing that you're coming in with, it may not actually be effective for you. Um, So I think that that is something else to pay attention to is like what kinds of concerns or what kinds of issues are you wanting to bring to the therapist and does this person have? the expertise to help you yeah those are great questions and i there even when i was looking for my first therapist there is absolutely this daunting thing that's aligned with it i don't know why it just felt like a daunting experience finding the right person searching insurance like it felt crazy until i did it and i was like okay you did it and i actually particularly i'm thinking of a, a really good friend of mine now who's been like I'm looking for a therapist and she's saying so many of the same things i was saying of like but 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 and i'm like oh how can i help her without like taking away from her version of she is going to get there Mm -hmm. and I'm excited for her to get there. Can you help us remove some of that daunting cloud that is around looking for a therapist and looking for professional yeah, it is a very daunting experience because I think, especially if you haven't had therapy, you like you don't really know what you're looking for, right? You mm. know, so we come into it thinking like, okay, I think I might want a black woman therapist, so I go to therapy for black girls, and you know, I kind of do the search or whatever. But then you see like hundreds of sisters, you know, and hundreds of therapists there, and you're like, oh, how do I even choose one? Um, yeah. and so I do often tell people. Um, if you can help a friend search, that can actually be really helpful. So if you can like go through some of the profiles with them and like narrow it down to like three to five that they can then call, because it can be an overwhelming task, especially if you're already like struggling with your mental health, like the idea that you now have to do all this administrative work can I think be really difficult. So if you are someone in somebody's life who's looking for a therapist, if you can help to kind of shoulder some of that weight, I think that that is a beautiful thing to offer somebody who is is looking. Yeah, so. But I also think, you know, it's in, it's good to ask for referrals, right? So if you know that there are other people in your circle who have worked with a therapist, if you can get a referral from your primary care doctor or some other health professional, um, you know, sometimes they will have like a shorter list that you can use to kind of start your search as opposed to, you you know, searching through 2000 different profiles. Right, right. That's a great suggestion. That's a great suggestion. Mm-hmm. I, I want to take a, a slight pivot because we were asked two specific questions that wanted to be asked towards you. And I thought, wow, what a 
beautiful person to be able to help us uh, walk through this. Um, and one of the questions were, how do you heal from a relationship where the other person has passed on? So how do you heal like there was a betrayal maybe or something and the other person passed on? Um, yeah. You know, so I, I think that there is the grief probably of, you know, dealing with like just the loss of this person, regardless of what the relationship status was. And then it sounds like there's maybe like a lack of closure, so to speak, on whatever that relationship had been. And I think it's really important to think about how you can give yourself that closure because I think a lot of times we are looking for somebody else to like give us closure when really closure comes from us making peace with this is what it is right so maybe I wanted this relationship to be something different but the truth of it is the reality of the situation is it was x y and z um and so really looking for ways to give yourself closure around whatever happened um with that relationship but also finding some support for yourself and I think a lot of times what happens when there is like grief that other people don't think is relevant are like worthy we we call that disenfranchised grief so you know there's a whole set of rituals and things that happen when like a loved one passes or whatever but when like there's a friendship breakup or you know some kind of other loss that other people don't deem as important it can feel really weird and you're left with like these these feelings that are unresolved and not sure what to do with. And so it's important for you to find a supportive community, whether that be friends, whether that be a therapist or something else where they won't make you feel bad for your grief feelings and, you know, really allow you to kind of talk through that as much as you need to kind of get to a place where you can accept that this is what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And when, what does, acceptance look like in grieving or in grief in general? Like saying that, okay, I am grieving. And when I hear or feel that acceptance, what does it look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not that you ever are like pleased, of course, that, you know, yeah, that someone yeah. has passed, but it is like a- Or not even, not even specific to them passing, but just in general, when I mm. hear grief, I think it couldn't obviously still apply to them. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. But just in general, there are so many things that in one lifetime we do grieve. We grieve our old selves. We grieve friendships. Yeah. Sometimes we grieve people either passing or all, all types of things. I just, again, the, the older you get, the more you learn. You're like, life is really big. Lots of grief. Lots of grief. So how would you also say acceptance shows up there? Yeah, I think it is about giving yourself permission to write a new story because the acceptance really comes from like being okay. Well, not okay, but understanding that whatever you thought that first version of the story was, like that is not the story we're operating with anymore. And so how do you get to a place where you can still have that maybe be a part of the story, but now something else is happening, right? So how can we move on to chapter two? And this is the new version of the story that I'm working with and giving yourself permission when you're ready, right? Because it doesn't, you don't necessarily want to rush to like, okay, now I need to rewrite this thing, even though you still maybe need to function, but there is no rush and no pressure to kind of get to a place where you have to accept it. But eventually you do want to get to a place of like, okay, what is this new version of my story? look like now like how do I pick up the pieces and kind of try to make sense of this to kind of continue to give myself permission to be joyful and to kind of move on with my life yeah yeah I love that when you started therapy for black girls the podcast what did you not know that you wish you knew 
And what did you not know that you can t- share with somebody else? <laughs> Whether they're, because that, I just know that that was such a journey. We both have podcasts and your podcast is so wildly successful, so exciting, so gorgeous. But again, you show up very fully in the podcast. And I'm like, okay, what did she wish she didn't, she knew in coming into this huge part of her life? And, you know, where does she see it going? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I wish I knew how much work. It was to make podcasts sound so effortless, right? And, you know, that's why I fell in love with it, I think, because it sounded, you know, like The Read is one of my favorite podcasts. It's the podcast that made me podcast in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it very much sounds like just two friends chatting and like, you know, it's so fun. And, um, you know, when I listened to podcasts, I thought like, oh, this would be a really cool way to like share mental health information. Um, and so, of course, now on the other side, I realized like how much work is involved involved in like a conversation sounding effortlessly and you know the, the what makes it enjoyable for the listener like there's a lot of work that actually goes into that so you know you hear a 30 minute episode and it's like three to six hours worth of work and editing and recording like there's a lot of work that goes behind it um so yeah. I that is the thing both that I wish I knew but that I would also pass on to other people um especially if you're wanting to like podcast like seriously right like if it's just a hobby thing then you know whatever um but if you are wanting to make a podcast that is like a part of a business strategy or something like that like you want to have good audio quality and and it is a lot of work to to bring something like that to life. So that's the thing that I would want people to know. Yeah. And what would you want to leave us with, with Sisterhood Heals and, you know, the feelings or the experiences and conversations you want people to have once they read this book? I'm so excited to hear what people are going to resonate the most with, because like I've already talked with you about like the things that really lit me up around writing it. But I really want to know what other people are going to find like most fascinating or most you know, what people are most excited to dig into. Um, So one, I'm just excited about that. Um, But I really am excited about us kind of just reprioritizing our focus on our sister friends, right? And really kind of just celebrating like who we are to one another, but also inviting us gently to look at how we can do a better job of showing up for one another. And if we are going to get through this thing, I think what the pandemic has shown me more than any other time is that if there is a getting through this, it is together. Um, And so how can we really kind of pick up the scraps and kind of rebuild after all of this grief and loss and like whatever all of this was we are kind of moving out of and build something together and and to support one another in ways that I think are really loving and kind. So beautifully said, Dr. Joy, everyone. Thank you so much for the conversation, for your time, for your energy, and for this beautiful new reflection of where you are and what you wanted to share. I really look forward to people also giving you feedback on what they got out of it, how they, you know, were able to, how, how they use it to influence their friendships and how you can now use that entail to continue in, in your work and in your journey. So thank you. Thank you, Stacey. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, leave a review, and while you're at it, share this with someone you love or just someone you like as long as you share it. Stay connected between episodes and follow us on Instagram at human to human with Stacey Ike. That's the number two, not the word two. You can also check me out at One Take Stace. I'm your host, Stacey Ike, and remember, curiosity is the pathway to consciousness, so let's take the next step together. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. 
So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.